Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 268 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is Earth Day, April 22nd, 2013. We've got a great show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Dan Weber coming up later on the show. we got Coach Harvey Hyde going to answer your questions about the USC football team that wrapped up spring ball a little over a week ago. Uh, any questions or comments you have for us, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can call 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail there or go to peristylepodcast.com and leave a voicemail right from your computer. And we have, like I said, Coach Harvey Hyde joining us in the first segment. Got some, we got some questions for him. We're going to talk to him about USC Spring Ball. What's up, Coach? How you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. It's, uh, we've had beautiful weather this weekend. And before we get started, I want to apologize to everybody. I mentioned to everybody last week I got a new dog. And going around uh, <laughs> and seeing people, they said, Coach, you forgot to tell us the dog's name. Oh. And I apologize. The dog's name is Molly, Miss Molly. She's a nice little uh, young <laughs> lady, and uh, her new name is Miss Molly. So wanted to uh, let all of our listeners know her name. And I apologize for not telling you that. But, Ryan, otherwise, everything's just great. Great. Yeah, well, you're out in Catalina with Miss Molly, so I hope you guys are having a good time. Yeah, hope you're having fun. And I uh, wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. And there's a lot going on here in Southern California and sports across the country. Go to SCTickets.com and they'll they'll hook it up and uh coach when we jump into this stuff uh you had mentioned before we were off the air you, you know you got to see usc practice this spring you got to see usc spring football um you also got to watch the national champion alabama crimson tide play their spring game and i thought maybe it'd be fun to kind of get your thoughts and compare and contrast a little bit what you thought between usc and what the national champions look like during spring football well, you know, when and when I'm when I'm when I'm talking about uh, Nick Saban, I'm talking about one of the finest football coaches in college football. I'm not going to say he's the absolute best, but he certainly has proven that over the last couple of years. Uh, it's all football with Nick Saban. Here he is at the spring game, and they're in their stadium. And I really don't know how many people they have there. Probably seventy thousand, sixty thousand watching their spring game, and he's in a sport coat tie in the middle of the field, behind the offense, directing spring, the spring game. Along with a full crew, uh, he's dressed to kill. He's splitting the squad into two different squads, completely the, the teams. I think he had the first defense on the whites and the first offense on the maroons, and that's where it went all the way on down, twos, threes, and so on. And they, they played a regular game uh, because they could score it. It ended up 17-14. The Maroons beat the Whites. Uh, at the end of the game, the, the Whites could have kicked the field goal. He said, no way. 
We're not going to play overtime. You're going to go for it. As I suggested last week, have a real, real, uh, real competitive finish. And uh, they held. So the Maroons won 17-14. But it's a coaching clinic. I think that's the best way to explain it to you. It's a basic coaching clinic. Every phase of the game was exactly like they were playing their opening football game. From as far as the coaches to the substitution, the kickoff, kickoff returns, punt, punt returns, no live tackling, of course, on kickoffs or kickoff returns, uh, the whole thing, field goals, PATs, yeah, substitution, delay of games, delay of game, uh, any type of penalty, uh, everything, complete substitution. They even had uh, one play called the 12 men on the field. They called that. It, it, everything, and I'm sure that's going to all be broken down on the tapes and films during the summer months, and these kids are going to learn from it. Very physical type of football team again. Not much talking. Not There isn't any dancing in the end zones or any of that type of additional uh, part of the game of football. It was a, It's a coaching clinic to watch. I watched it this morning at 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. I think a lot of people have probably seen it. Uh, the whole game was done on television. But it, it's a great thing to watch, and it's a great thing to see the pride of Alabama football and the way it goes. So there's different ways of doing it. There's different. I'm not saying one way is the only way, but here's a national champion in the way they do it, and I think that's the way I would have done it. So that's the best way of saying what I saw this morning, and I've already discussed a lot about what we saw as far as no tackling, no running game, some of the things that we saw last week. Um, okay, well, let's move on to some other questions, Coach. Uh, CC in Huntington Beach said, um, although it's been speculated that Lee and Aguilar, and he's talking about uh, Marquise Lee and Nelson Aguilar, are our two best cornerbacks, I can understand why Coach Kiffin wouldn't want to play them full-time on defense. But what about just bringing one or both of them in on third and long or fourth and long situations? We've seen far too many conversions on these key downs over the last few years. What do you think? That's CC and Huntington Beach. Well, CC, you can do that. But uh, as I've said before, I wouldn't do that with my two offensive stars. If you'd have started with them as a defensive player, and when Marquise Lee came in to USC when I was doing the recruiting show, I said, here comes a great defensive back. And uh, all of a sudden he uh, ended up on offense. You have to have great corners to play man. And that's something I just mentioned a moment didn't mention a moment ago how well Alabama's corners cover on man defense. They play man and man, those kids are that's what it is, man. And uh they 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 don't seem to have had recently the superstar corners. Uh, they've been playing soft corner, uh, keep everything in front of you rely on the deep middle uh, times to be covered by a middle linebacker, a whole different uh, scheme. And uh, now they're going to a man coverage type of uh, secondary, and they really don't have man cover guys right now. I mean, they're good kids. They're freshmen. We've talked about it, but it's very tough to put uh, your freshmen, a lot of redshirt freshmen and freshmen out there on, on the corners. All by yourself. It's a difficult thing to stand out there and 
and uh, cover some of these great receivers in the Pac-12 and some of the teams that are going to be playing non-conference, Notre Dame and others. So uh, I, I would think that, you know, that's one area of my concern. I've said that the whole time, and and I thought that this spring, because of Darius Rogers coming in and Stevie Mitchell coming in, Steve Mitchell in the fall, that I would have probably sat down and spoken to Flournoy and spoken to Blackwell as far as moving over and, and playing corners this spring. So you get your shoulders ready, uh, you, they're skilled, they can run, they can play. And so you could start rather than being or fighting for the third receiver spot, which when you look at the depth chart, you sometimes wonder why Blackwell didn't get the third receiver. He's probably saying right now, I wish I had a, gone to coach and told him that. And, you know, when you look at corners today in the NFL, in the NFL draft, you see them uh, going higher than receivers. They're hard to find man cover guys. So, uh, and you don't want to take your two guys and teach them. All of a sudden, they're tackling. They got Marquise Lean uh, returning kickoffs, returning punts sometimes, uh, playing, catching the ball 100 times, <clears throat> excuse me, which I hope he never has to do again uh, as far as a receiver because you've got to spread the ball around to your tight end and other receivers. And Aguilar certainly has proven that he's a great receiver. You don't want to take them over there and, and have them, you know, their shoulders aren't prepared. They're, they're, they're guys that have been trying to get away uh, from the hit. Now they're going to be giving the hit. Uh, I just don't think your timing and that'd be a smart thing to do. At least that's what I think and how I feel about it. You know, it's funny, Coach, when you mentioned before about the man coverage, and I, I really like the more aggressive front, and you certainly did have concerns. I was like, oh, you know, guys can play man-to-man, but then the more we saw this spring, the more trouble we kind of saw with that. But if you, even if you have a guy like Marquis Lee or Nelson Aguilar or, or any of the other receivers you move over there, I mean, how effective you think a guy can be in only third and long or fourth and long situations or only to help out. I mean, is it, is it a disadvantage if you're, if you're only over there part-time? I mean, would you, would you rather have a guy that's maybe not as skilled but doing it full-time as opposed to a guy that's more skilled but maybe he's only doing it part-time? Probably I would because <clears throat> you get to learn to play with your safeties. Uh, you watch films. Uh, you understand moves of receivers. You know the routes, what they're trying to do. You know, how much film study time do these guys have? That They're going to be watching all the offense, doing all the offense and film watching, then they're going to go watch the offense of the opponent. Yeah. There's only so much you can ask a kid to do. So I think you're better off having someone doing it full-time and doing it all the time and getting accustomed to the game plans and all of a sudden. Now, don't get me wrong. It could be a nickel or the end of the game, uh, you know, the Hail Mary type of play. And yeah, you put Marquise Lee back to 30 yards and let him go to the football, but he's not going to, he's just going to intercept it or go up and try to catch it. And the game's over. Yeah. But to play it a lot and to play on defense, absolutely not. If you want to play him there, move him over and keep him there. All right. Um, let's see. Here's one from uh, David and the OC. He says, it's very interesting what's being said about the quarterback situation between Max Wittick and Cody Kessler. I guess you could throw in uh, uh, Max Brown as well. Wittick has a strong arm, and Kessler doesn't. Now, many people are saying Matt Barkley doesn't have a strong arm. So when you com- compare Matt's arm to Kessler's arm, do you think 
there's a big difference. And if Matt's arm was good enough, why wouldn't Kessler's arm be good enough to lead the USC football team? That's David and the OC about the quarterbacks. Well, I think, well, Winnick has a strong arm, but he's a big kid. He's 6'5", 240 pounds, and he's just a stronger-built type of kid. Kessler is a smaller-built kid, but he's a playmaker. He sees the field. He doesn't make uh, uh, careless throws. In fact, he didn't have an interception the entire spring. And there's a lot to say by that. Turnovers get you beat. And he's got great silent type of leadership. Very positive. I'm surprised he didn't have a chance to play in the in the Sun Bowl when things weren't going right. But uh, I'm very confused, too, at the quarterback uh, position. When you look at the depth chart, it's Wittick or Kessler or Brown. <laughs> to me, to me, I'm very, you know, if it is or, 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 then why won't you put them in alphabetical order? Brown would be first, then Kessler, then Wittick. Or are you really thinking it's Wittick, Kessler, Brown? I know you don't want to have one of these kids transfer or get discouraged, but I don't think Brown expects to be an or. Are you misleading him or are you ticking off the other two guys? I don't know. But I could see a Wittick and Kessler be an or. But I talked last week. If I was to start a kid uh, tomorrow, it'd be Kessler with Wittick two and Brown three as an outstanding. And, I'd, and Brown should feel really good about being three. He had a great spring. He's learning. So he can't make him feel, oh, man, I'm three. Heck, you got a couple of guys that have been all everything coming in out of high school in Wittick and Kessler. Great players in the pro-style offense. But I think uh, the or, or, or thing sort of bothers me. I, I, <laughs> I, I try to figure it out sometimes, and I can't. Yeah, I can't figure that, that part out either. Well, you know, we mentioned in the – the depth chart there. And I think we're going to talk to uh, Dan Weber a little bit later on as well, but I want to get your thoughts. Anything that, that kind of stood out to you when, when the depth chart was released a week ago? Uh, well, when I'm looking at it now, uh, I'm looking at the right tackle offensive right tackle position, Kevin Graft or Chad Wheeler. That's sometimes puzzled. Well, it, not sometimes it has puzzled me. You got a guy <laughs> that started two years uh, played that position. I'm not telling you he's an All-American, but he's a kid that played for you two years. And you have a, a freshman redshirt who hadn't played at all, played one week of spring practice, and he's an oar. Um, and I know Coach Kiffin said he had one hellacious three days of practice the first week. Man, <laughs> I'm I'm telling you, he must be... Munoz or somebody, <laughs> Ron Yeri. I, I don't know how you get uh, an or out of that. I think he's trying to encourage the kid and maybe push Kevin to say, all right, Kevin, you better get going because we got an or here. But it might upset me more if I was Kevin than get me going. But I think they think a lot of Chad Wheeler, and I think he still has things to prove. But an or... Over a two-year starter, three days of spring practice, Chad Wheeler, a redshirt freshman. Uh, Someone's got to explain that to me. I think the key, though, of the offensive line is the performance of Andre Walker. 
they got to get the play out of him. They're going to keep Truick at guard, looks like. Marcus Martin at center and Martinez at the other guard. Walker's got to get it done. He's got to get it done, and you've got to really motivate him to take the extra step, do everything extra, the extra day in the weight room, every single thing to get it done. He's got to use his potential to become a great player. Got to get angry a little bit. I'd show him the Alabama offensive line film. I really would. So watch these guys block. Maybe I'd show the whole offensive line it, how physical they are and how they come off the football and, and how there's no penetration. This is so important. But this kid's got all the, all the talent in the world, and he's got to perform. He's got to do it. It's a must. So uh, that's my feeling there. Uh, all right. Let's see. Um, I, I, you know, I could talk about the one, two. Is you want me to talk more about the depth chart? Well, if you want, I mean, is there any other? I mean, that was well, a, yeah, a confusing yeah. one, one to me. Marquise but... Lee and Darius Rogers, number two, over Victor Blackwell. Now, I don't know. They might have made a mistake here. <laughs> I mean, you know, typographical error. But I thought Victor Blackwell had an outstanding spring. I really did. Made a nice catch in in the spring game for a touchdown, number 85 for everyone, so you know who it is. Darius Rogers, I think he's got great potential. And if Victor stays uh, on offense and they don't use him on defense, which they never talk about, so why should I even bring it up again? I'd redshirt Darius Rogers. I wouldn't. I wouldn't waste him because. Coach Kiffin doesn't play a lot of receivers. Why use him for five plays or six plays? Redshirt him. He's going to be a great player. It'd be great for him to mature, become older, because Marquise Lee's going to leave, uh, I would assume. And and I don't understand that. I just can't understand. I, I like Darius Rogers, but I don't think Darius expects to be number two. Behind Victor, I, I don't know what the motivation thing is there. Maybe we could find out, but I really don't know. Uh, when I look at the running back situation, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> uh, oh, really, I am. I'm trying to figure it out. All due respects to everyone, a returning player certainly does deserve an opportunity to be number one. To me, in an offense, if you're going to play a two-back offense at times, and they do, you want your two best backs on the field. In Coach Kiffin's offense, the fullback is a receiver sometimes, as well as a blocker. I think Madden and Davis and Red would be a great combination. I'm not saying D.J. Morgan can't play or Allen can't play. Allen had a great spring or any of these other players. But you've got a big Madden, you've got a Davis that really had a great spring, and you've got an experience for it. I would utilize these three backs, and these would be the guys all the time. Nothing against Pinner or the Vanuku or these guys, but get your athletes on the field. This is me. This is me, Harvey Hyde, my opinion, nothing more than that. Uh, so I wanted to throw that out because I thought Madden looked good this spring. 
He's faster than I thought he was, and Justin certainly did prove himself. And Red, what do I have to tell you about him? Size, tough kid. I like him. He's tough. Tight end wise, those guys have got to get well. Grimble and Teffler, you know, it's time that you get the welding torch out and get yourself ready to go. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, let me look at this real quickly. And on the defensive side of the ball, you got Cody Temple at nose tackle. And uh, I think that would give you – I think Kenny Bigelow had a good growing up period during the spring, but it gets you experienced players there on the field. I, I don't have much to say about the defensive front. I think that uh, that is solid. you got to let them go because of the strength of your defense. Pollard, of course, uh, is a leader. Dawson or Surreal, I, I think that's that's good. You got competition over there. In the second day, I mentioned it last week. I wouldn't move Shaw out the corner because I don't think he's fast enough to play corner. If you're going to play man, you're going to have to go with Brown, Sheldon, or Hawkins, or Harris, Seymour, and Henderson, or I don't know. Bailey's going to go back to safety. You got Suva Craven, so. Right, I don't know Demetrius Wright or Leon McRae. That that's an or too. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, I don't. Uh, I think defense. Uh, and you look at the depth chart there. You look at the front seven. You look good, and you just look at the corners, and that's the question mark. Uh, all right. Well, there's a couple more questions I want to finish up with, uh, Coach, and we'll let you go. Here's one on the. Uh... Kind of the atmosphere, I guess you could say, at the spring game that was just over a week ago. Touchdown Trojans. Hey, Ryan. Coach. Everybody at the Parastyles, the Catman from High Top Signal Hill. What is up with that announcer at the spring game today? God, I could have sworn I was transported over to uh, a Home Depot Stadium watching an L.A. Galaxy soccer game. Uh, got a young old guy back. Uh, he was class. Anyway, hope you're all having a good day. Love the show and look forward to it every week. Take care. Great question. I think that's a great question because I noticed it and I was broadcasting the game. <laughs> so that means uh, I could tell. I, I don't know. This is my opinion. I don't know how many Trojans out there feel like I do. Dennis Packard is the best. He does Chargers. I think he's done every team in town, professional team. He's done the Rose Bowl game. I mean, his voice is as good as any voice anywhere. Agreed or not agreed? I don't know. He did the halftime even at USC. They paid him peanuts. He loved doing it. He was, uh, he's simple. Well, you know, he just was, his voice, you could recognize who he was and what it was going about. I don't know. Who's in charge of those type of, of things? But why do you make a change when you don't have to? He knows a lot about the history. He knows the names. He, he doesn't need to audition for the job. <laughs> Believe me, he's too good maybe. But he does it, and I don't know why they made that change. And uh, But myself personally... I miss Dennis Packard. That's my opinion. I'm not saying someone made the mistake. <laughs> Sounds like I am. <laughs> but but 
why make that change? Well, I, I don't. Uh, are you trying to break someone into broadcasting, doing PA? It, it's uh, you're taking like a pro, and nothing against the kid or whoever's doing. I don't even know who it is. Congratulations to him, because he got one of the best gigs around. But man, Dennis Packard, he's that. He's a great voice, and and I, I don't know why he's gone disappeared. They're lacking that in the Coliseum. He's got the great pipes. I just loved, loved listening to him, him at the USC games, the Charger games. Actually, we spoke at some USC donor event or something before. It just couldn't have been a nicer guy. So I, I don't know exactly what went on with that. Something political or something, I don't know. But uh, hopefully he can come back. That would be great to get him back there because I thought he was the best. And it's just not a guy you want to get rid of. It's like getting rid of like a Harry Carey or something like that. Just, you know. He's still around. He should still be doing it, in my opinion, too, Coach. Oh, well, thank you. But I, I agree. I, I know Dennis well. He knows Trojan history, football and history, and he loves it. He loves USC. Uh, maybe too loyal. Well, let's finish up, Coach. One last one. Peter in San Francisco. He says, uh, in terms of judging how well high school athletes will play at the college level, what is the hardest position to evaluate in your in your opinion is it running back because you have to be so tough at the position and it's hard to evaluate toughness is it quarterback because so many different skills are required to succeed what do you think is the hardest position to evaluate uh you haven't had to do this for a while coach this is this is like kind of off topic one i guess but i thought it was interesting no 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 it's a good topic because i think that uh i would say skilled players are the easiest because a guy can run the guy can play Guy can uh, break in the open, run away from people. I, I got great hands, great athletes. That's that's not hard to to find out if a guy can play. I can watch one reel and say, offer him. Uh, I think probably the toughest would be corners, uncovering, tackling, and also probably offensive linemen. I, I would say that. I, I would say the feet of an offensive lineman positioning strength uh, he's got to be intelligent enough to to know blocking rules work as a unit uh, the offensive line and corner corners safeties are great athletes uh, uh, normally a uh, great safety could be a great basketball player and uh, and they normally are in high school but I'd say corners and offensive line are probably the most difficult to evaluate because you can't make a mistake all right uh great stuff coach uh it's it's fun the off season is always interesting and we keep getting more and more questions and keep sending them in we love to hear from you guys and we'll do our best to to answer them as you know this the off season summer workouts will start pretty soon we'll be able to cover those and then of course leading up to fall camp so it should be a lot of fun thanks again for uh coming on coach Hey, thank you very much, and uh, for everyone out there, thank you very much for participating, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. And everyone else, hey, we'll be back in 30 seconds. We've got some more questions to get to with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. 
Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got Dan Weber from uscfootball.com. Our beat writer has been covering the team for the last several years and many years before that, before he came, came to us at uscfootball.com. Welcome, Dan. How you doing? Pretty good. Not bad. Trying to just uh, take a look ahead now, I guess. It's time. We've, we've looked back enough, and uh, as Lane says, <laughs> you want to look back. <laughs> so uh, it's time to look ahead, see where they are and how uh, how the summer lines up and what uh, what lies down the road how well they uh, how well this team is is uh, situated to to get done what you know a lot of USC fans hope it hope it could get done yeah there's an interesting column you definitely check it out on the front page of uscfootball.com right now and we'll be talking obviously throughout the off season once they go through the summer workouts uh, what's going on with this team as they kind of count forward towards fall camp and, of course, the 2013 season. And, Dan, we have some questions I wanted to get to, kind of talking about the future of the program. We can probably just jump right in there. I guess Paul in Las Vegas, he says, now that you've seen and watched spring practice, who do you think the leaders are going to be going forward this summer and then into next season? I think uh, Hayes Pillard has made a conscious effort, which he's talked about, and talked about to himself, and I know the coaches have talked to him that uh, he wasn't one of those, you know, uh, guys that talked up a lot. He just kind of showed up every day and did his uh, did his thing. But I think he's been convinced in his own mind uh, and by the coaches, and you know, came to the conclusion himself that you know he needs to step up. He's a leader on defense, and uh, he's going to step up. So I think he's been a big uh, a big probably the guy that maybe has most stepped up from a, you know, from a guy who was kind of quiet and just, just, just did his, his, his deal. Uh, I think the other one that they're really pleased about is Devon Kennard about, you know, coming back uh, for an extra year after his, uh, you know, weightlifting accident last year and uh, just being able to be, you know, a big time kind of stabilizing influence on defense. So I look at those two and you know what? Uh, I think, the spring game maybe told us that Demetrius Wright might really be able to, after a couple of years and in injuries and kind of getting lost in the shuffle a little bit at safety with his uh, couple of interceptions and his decision, you know, that rehabbing his uh, torn labrum would be better uh, than, uh, than surgery and missing the season. Uh, we might be seeing a lot, you know, he's the, he's the veteran back there. Uh, Deion Bailey will give you another, you know, veteran uh, at safety, but he's, you know, with switching positions, looking for maybe Demetrius Wright uh, on the uh, on the defense. So, kind of gives you the defensive rundown. Obviously, I think on offense, guy that it does a lot, even though he didn't play much in this, and, and as a new guy here who uh, and didn't play a lot in the spring is uh, Silas Red. He's just a kind of a natural leader. Uh, he he really has a lot of influence. I think um, Cody Kessler, I think you know, stepped into it's just 
fits his personality. He just, you know, you almost need a quarterback who uh, kind of has those uh, those uh, kind of natural uh, tendencies to to, uh, to take a lead and uh, and quietly a guy who doesn't talk a lot, but I think is pretty darn influential up front is John Martinez. Hmm. Uh, now that you know he's you know this is this is his third year as a starter and. John, you know, very quietly kind of is an influential guy, uh, I think, with his teammates. He's such a weight room warrior, tough guy. Um, and uh, those would be the guys I'd look at right now. Yeah, it's a good list. And, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the quarterbacks. We get a lot of quarterback questions here. And here's, here's a specific one, Dan, but I thought maybe afterwards you can kind of share your thoughts overall on the quarterbacks. But this this is specifically about uh, Cody Kessler, and then you can expand on it from that. So here's the voicemail. Hey, Ryan and the gang. This is Mike from New York. A uh, quick question. I have heard but cannot find any reference to Coach Kiffin uh, mentioning something about Cody Kessler being too short. And uh, some people have alluded to that being sort of cover for the fact that um, he was not listed as a number one uh, starter coming out of spring practice. I can't find any reference to that. Uh, number one, can you or Dan confirm that? And two, uh, Dan or Coach, uh, what's your opinion about that? Thanks much, and fight on. Uh, you know, I think Lane kind of referred to it in a backhanded way, or, you know, kind of a, uh, a dismissive way, and it might have, you know, been kind of gave gave you a little indication of his thinking. But he said that the one answer they wanted to see out of the quarterbacks in the spring was because of, you know, as big as um, as, as Max Brown at six five and Max, you know, Wittick at six four. Uh, he said we knew they could run all of our offense. What we needed to find out was could Cody Kessler uh, at his size. And I think he's understated. I think you know, they've been calling him six one for a while. He had a little bit of a growth spurt. I think he's you know well over six one. He plays bigger than that. He's got really he was a, you know really big time basketball player in high school. Kid who could dunk a basketball in the eighth grade. Long arms, you know, big you know hands and feet, and you know he he plays bigger than he actually is. But Lane actually did reference that by saying uh, we wanted to see if he could run all the offense. Will we have to change any of the offense if Cody's the quarterback? And he said, we wouldn't. We don't have to. He's shown us that he can run every bit of our offense. There's nothing that he can't run. So um, so that was – and I think the second part of that was, I think Lane uh, had mentioned in the fall when they uh, selected Max Wittick as the uh, backup, was that uh, throwing the deep ball, the big arm, might have been an issue. Uh he never totally believed that, but I thought it was an answer that Lane, you know, could give. They needed an answer as to one of the two was going to be the backup, and so the answer they gave, uh, which I'm not sure anybody, you know, totally uh, went along with, but it was an answer was that you know Max had a bigger arm, uh, so I think uh, the the height issue is not an issue at all. I mean, Cody's you know certainly bigger than. You know Drew Brees, and and you know the difference between Cody right now and uh, and Matt Barkley uh, is not even worth talking about in terms of you know size and 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 with his athleticism and and feet and all the things you know that he can do, uh, 
probably has, you know, maybe it might even have more ability to run more of the offense than, say, uh, that Matt Barkley could just because of escapability and ability to get to the corner on rollouts and things like that, a little ability to get away from the center. So uh, uh, I think that that would be, I think, where they were going with the whole the whole height thing. It's it's no longer an issue. Okay. Uh, this one's from Steve, Dan. He said, last week on the podcast, Dan Weber urged the listeners to consider how strong this team would be this fall after adding 25, he said, I'm not sure of the exact number, players to the active roster who are out during the spring scrimmage due to injuries. This made me wonder about how many of the injured players can we realistically expect to return to play in the fall and how many of, the more, how many of them are, are more seriously injured. Now that the smoke is cleared, from spring camp, we have a better sense of who else besides George Farmer is likely to sit out the entire season or a significant portion of it. That's from Steve. Steve, I think that is the good news. I think 19 of the 20 are back. You know, I mean, I think uh, they, they're, you know, as certain as they can be of any anything that, uh, that, that George is going to be the only one lost, uh, you know, in, in terms of right now. He's the only injury that's going to last through next year. That uh, the other 19 are going to be back, and I guess 16 of those are scholarship guys. So, uh, uh, you know, that's one of the real pluses, one of the real positives, one of the real, you know, good good news moments about a roster. That you know, I know that's what we're writing about this week. Is are the numbers there? How do they how do they break down? You know, when you're starting with 75 and you and you've got a lot of injuries, where does that leave you? Actually, it leaves them in pretty good shape, you know, for the for the fall. Uh, better shape probably than than they would have had a right to expect, and, and we would have had a right to you know expect uh, the way this is going to work out. But you know, if you watch the USC spring game, and, and one of the good things about the Pac-12 networks is they did telecast all those five you know games in one day, and you really did get a, a chance to watch some of the others, and. Uh, well, you got a chance to watch them all, actually. And uh, the the more you watched everybody, USC looks like it's in a pretty good place in terms of where this team is. And you think, gosh, they're going to add 25 bodies, you know, to the to the group they had out on the uh, on the field, you know, at the spring game. So I'm probably a little more optimistic about that, and and more optimistic just because 19 of the 20 injured guys are, are almost certainly going to be back. I mean. A lot of those, you know, if they'd have had to play a game in the spring, like a real game that really counted, they'd have probably, half of those guys might have played. Uh, but there was no need to rush them. I thought they'd done a really good job of conservatively, uh, you know, uh, just telling guys, you know, stay out. we got plenty of time. You know, with Deion Bailey, some people might have said, gosh, you're going to change position. Why don't we get you back quicker? Uh, going to safety, didn't do that at all. Uh, as much as, you know, short term, you might think, ah, that's a good idea. They just didn't take any of those chances. So uh, I think they've managed the injury situation pretty well. I agree with you on that one, Dan. I'm curious to see all the guys coming back, plus six new ones in the uh, coming in this summer. So it should be, should be an interesting fall camp for sure, more position battles and stuff going on. Um, one of the areas, Dan, where there was some pretty good you know, battles, I guess, for most of the second string and then who's going to play where along the front line was on the offensive line. And this is a name that has come up a few times, and, you know, maybe we could get an update. Here's a, a voicemail question for you on that. 
Has Zach Banner shown any promise? He hasn't been mentioned all spring. Please let me know on the podcast. Thank you. Short and sweet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> actually, Zach has. Uh, and I know uh, the thing I thought was interesting is that Mike Summer has, Mike Summers, the new offensive line coach, has been pretty upbeat about Zach. Um uh, he uh, he's coached a couple of others. He said I've actually coached some guys almost that big. So he said I, I've I've got a sense about it. I mean the sense you get is I really like Zach. He's he's smart and athletic, and he you know the basketball plays in and all that. It's just you know when you get down in that stance, he's got so much leg underneath him to get in position against say speed rushers at times. Uh, which is why they're going to keep him on the right side. Uh, my feeling is uh, if you get – if he has a great summer and maybe a great start to the fall, uh, you know, could he be in there some? Uh, you know, could he get into a game? Yeah, I think so. He might be a year away. Uh, it won't be because he's not an athlete. It won't be because he's not a tough kid. It's just harnessing, you know, a frame as big as his. I mean – He's six foot nine. He just look. He looks bigger than that. The three thirty five. Uh, if he gets his body on you, he's gonna block you, and he's gonna keep you from playing. If it were me, I might. Now I can understand what they want to do. They kept him at right guard. They kept the or right tackle next to Jordan Simmons, who also needs to, you know, get his body in shape and get himself, uh, you know, another giant human being, who's got great potential. But both of them you know, have a ways to go. Uh, Zach, I think, you know, are there other positions he could play if, you know, if, say, it's determined, and we think Jonathan Ogden at UCLA might have been the biggest really, really good offensive lineman. He was about the same size, and he was probably the best by far Hall of Famer, you know, NFL guy uh, who was able to harness a body that big. Um I don't think we've got an answer yet in terms of whether Zach can do that. But is there somewhere else? That, you know, could he become the next, uh, you know, uh, uh, big, big, big defensive end who can play standing up? I mean, there there is a kind of a loss of momentum when he goes from uh, his stance with a hand on the ground to that first big step where you, you get in position. And that's where he, he seems to have a little trouble Staying with the play. What if he started out as a, uh, as a, uh, you know, stand-up defensive end type, or uh, what if he, uh, what if he was a tight end? You know, <laughs> you know say, you, say you decided to play two tight ends. Uh, I, I don't know. I, my feeling is I might be doing a little more experimenting with him. I think their decision was let's keep him at right tackle and really concentrate on that for now. Uh, I have a good feeling about him just because he's such a bright kid, such a really, you know, neat kid. He's got, you know, he's got good feet in some ways. Like when he's already moving, he's got good feet. Uh, it's getting from a uh, complete stop to moving that is where he really, uh, where, where there really needs some work. But, uh, but the potential I think is there. There's a high end possibly with him, but uh, he's not there yet. 
Uh, well, you met, you know, you're talking about the right tackle spot and some of the offensive lines, but I got, one thing I wanted to bring up, this wasn't a question that was sent in, but there was a few, uh, I guess, curious decisions made when uh, the depth chart was released. And I think one of them was at, at right tackle. I wanted to get your thoughts, Dan, on what you thought of the, the depth chart that came out uh, last week after the spring game. Well, that was interesting that they, they chose to, uh, Mike Summers chose to, uh, and I, you know this was his call, to decide that Chad Wheeler, who's a six foot seven, uh, 200, and probably 80 plus, maybe up to 85 now, I think, maybe the last time I asked him, but he was moving in the right direction. Still a young looking kid out of Santa Monica. Uh, kind of one of those kids that, you know, that you find and you think, wow, this, this, there might be something there. And they really, really liked the way he was coming on the first couple of weeks of spring ball. Uh, unfortunately, a, uh, an injury cut short his second half of the spring, but they liked it so much that they're moving him, you know, even to battle it out with uh, two-year starter Kevin Graff at, you know, at right tackle. And I know, you know, there, as Lane said, you know, Mike Summers and Kevin have talked about it, and there are some things they really would like to see him, him do. And, uh, I know Kevin has tweeted that, you know, we're going to – well, you'll see. I'll, I'll show people. Uh, I think that's the kind of competition you really like to see, and that may be the one – the biggest negative of maybe the numbers situation is you don't quite have as much competition as you'd like, although I think there's a significantly more competition this year than last year. I mean, there essentially was no competition on the offensive line last year. So even if it's just at the one spot for starters, I think that's a good thing. And uh, I think that's of all the ones, all the decisions that may may have been, you know, the most uh, the most curious on the uh, on the depth chart uh, as far as as far as I was concerned. That's just the one that, that jumped out. Uh, although I know I think Ryan, you mentioned uh, there was another one that you thought was kind of interesting, and I'm trying to. Oh well, no, to me, the right tackle one was the most. Interesting. Well, I guess the other one was uh, Darius Rogers, I think, was listed ahead of Victor Blackwell. Oh, uh, after Victor Blackwell's spring game, I guess. That would be the one. Yeah, and, and Darius was another one of these guys, I think, that had been really coming on strong and got injured the last couple of weeks of spring ball. So we didn't get to see him. But uh, but I think that was, uh, uh, I think, a, kind of a message to Victor that, hey, you can do that in the spring game. Uh, we want you to do it every single practice. And uh and be there all the time, uh, and at that position, you can afford you can afford to do that. Yeah, with I, those numbers. But I think, yeah, I think that would be the that was the other one that maybe people went, eh, but you know, we're not talking about a starter there. But I think the I think the just the sense on the offensive line that there is competition, there are positions open, and you know, uh, maybe for a guy like a Jordan Simmons, you know, to say, hey. You know, get yourself in there if you think, you know, get yourself in really good shape and uh, and find yourself, uh, you know, a spot. And, and the other message would be uh, for everybody that has one of those starting spots, you can't rest on your laurels. You, know, you have to be ready to play every play. you got to be ready to play all through every play. You can't take half the play off. Uh, and you really got to, you know, or somebody else will be able to, step in there they didn't have that ability last year uh having the ability to do that changes everything so you know what happens over these next you know few months 
and where these guys are, you know, when they get there in August uh, is really going to be, you know, I think really crucial to this team's success because uh, if you're going to practice faster and more physical and, and more aggressively, you have to be able to compete in practice. I think that was one of the, the really downsides of, of, of holding back in practice and not going all out was the inability of anybody to compete for a position. I mean, you could, you could hardly beat anybody out when you're basically doing uh, speeded up walkthroughs yeah. every day. I mean, just, <laughs> there wasn't a way that you weren't really playing football. So guys were kind of locked into positions. I don't, I don't think that was the case this spring. And if that continues on, that was kind of the, you know, when Pete got here, I think, you know, the, the, you know at the end, to talk about competitive this and that, maybe kind of, you know, had gone by the wayside. But that was the secret at the beginning. Those guys were competing in practice, and it meant something how you competed in practice. And if they can get back to that, which it looked like they did in the spring, that's a, just a gigantic improvement in, uh, in, in where this team is. I, I think you explained that well, because to me, if you look on the surface, you have a two-year starter in Kevin Graff and – Chad Wheeler, who's never played a down and has been hurt most of the time, it's hard to picture putting them as an or. But if it's more of an example thing where, hey, we're showing that there's going to be competition around here and it's really more to light a fire under people's butts than anything else, I think that does make make a lot of sense. Yeah, I think Victor Blackwell deserved to be up ahead of that because he did play well. But, yeah, I mean, if it's something that can kind of keep him driving, keep him competing and, and, and get the attention of some of the other players on the team, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's probably a good thing, you know, for both um, uh, Kevin Graff and Victor Blackwell, actually, uh, you know, in the long run. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's you know, one of those, you know, message delivery things that, uh, that may really work out well. I mean, it already seems to have with Kevin Graff, who, who uh, had a message, you know, right back that, you know, I'm going to show you. And that's, that's great. I mean, that's what you want. That's, that's just the best possible answer that, you know, somebody could have. And that's the answer. You know, USC football needs uh, everybody to have that, that kind of an answer. That's, uh, you know, and I thought, you know, in the spring, for example, the offensive line had the, uh, got jumped on early by the, uh, the defensive line, first four practices for sure. And as you would expect, and as athletic as that defensive front is, and yet they didn't, you know, kind of go into a shell or whatever. They came back punching, and, and the offensive line, you know, fought their way back and, and really played hard and, uh, and, and kind of, you know, fought them to a kind of a stalemate in a lot of practices. So uh, good for them. I mean, I think that's the, that's the message, you know, that they're trying to send, I mean, without a doubt. All right. Well, a couple quick ones and we'll let you go, Dan. Um, Luke wants to know, when will USC finally get back to normal as far as the recruiting numbers go? When will the sanctions really finally end? That's from Luke. You know, if it were up to me, I swear it would end this week. I mean, I'd be sitting in Indianapolis and saying, we're going to open up the emails and we're going to see what's in there. And you guys gave back, God, for, they gave back Central Florida's ball band, for example, the other day. I mean, they, uh, you know, I just think, I mean, I don't know if anybody read what ESPN's uh, Ted Miller wrote the other day, but goodness, um, Everybody in the world knows that USC totally got screwed on this and totally are out of, out of bounds. And uh, 
give the NCAA an out. For example, say, we know you're going to take it easy on Miami. We know you're going to take it easy on Oregon. We know you took it easy on everybody else. Here's what you do. Take it easy on us. Give us back all the recruiting numbers right now. And, uh, and we'll, you know, we'll let it go away uh, when we won't, you know, we won't threaten to do some of the things that everybody else has done to the NCAA to embarrass you. And when the uh, emails come out in the Todd McNair case, we will be able to say, well, the NCAA screwed up, but they tried to make it right. Instead of what might happen when people see the emails in the Todd McNair case and say, are you kidding me? The NCAA knew these were in the, this was in the emails, and they still kept USC to that ridiculous, you know, worst penalty in modern, modern history, uh, not counting Penn State. Uh, so... That would be my, that would be my take. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe the NCAA is in enough trouble that somehow, maybe somebody at USC has the sense to say, give the NCAA a way out. Let them, you know, look like they're honorable people. They're not. They never have been. But give them a chance, maybe, to reform themselves and uh, and and give the USC right away the chance to go back to 85 and uh, and uh, maybe take off their scholarship limits for a year or something like that, or just, you know, whatever. But uh, if they don't, you know, I mean, you can project <laughs> out. The problem is what you can't project out is how many guys leave for the NFL after, you know, their junior year, how many guys get hurt, how many, you know, it's impossible, you know, or academic issues or legal issues or whatever. There's no way you can project that out. So we could say, well, if they, you know, this many guys maybe would leave over these next couple of years and this many guys could come in and all that. I'm not into those, those kinds of numbers. I just think USC ought to be able to be back to normal right now. And there's not a single person in the world who doesn't think that. And uh, if you gave the lie detector test to everybody on that, uh, <laughs> on that committee on infractions who's trying to figure out a way that they can not lose face and yet not really penalize Oregon, for example, uh, why shouldn't they be doing the same thing for USC? Why shouldn't they be trying to figure out a way uh, to get out of the USC mess? Uh, USC probably needs to be more aggressive as, as – Oregon has been, as uh, Miami obviously has been. Uh, you know, I mean, Miami wants the whole case dropped right now. You know, for time, you know, we've been punished enough. You think USC couldn't make that argument like a hundred times over? Right. <laughs> uh, when you now know what what they were paralyzed for. Uh, so anyway, that would be that would be my rant. But I don't know when. I mean, I think USC is in better shape than than they ever should have been considering the way the penalties were administered and, 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 and the, the numbers on the penalties and all that. It's just probably almost impossible that they're in as good a shape as they are. And, and I, you know, and some of it's self-inflicted, you know, not filling the last two classes. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, maybe it'll help them next year. It'll look like a full class with 20, uh, 20 new, new scholarship kids. But, I mean, next year is so dependent on how do they get – I mean, the problem I've got with the next year's recruiting, it's almost totally dependent on how they do this year. Yeah. 
I mean, if USC thought they had negative recruiting to work against in the past, what is it going to be like if they have a similar year to last year? So, I mean, they, as far as I'm concerned, they don't have to do anything about recruiting this year except win football games. Yes. They win football games. They get their act together. They look like, hey, this is a program that's overcome everything, and they're doing it with a lot of young kids. Um, that you couldn't send a better message. People will want to come to USC. But if they stumble, they stumble from the start, and if people are saying, geez, wonder who's going to be coaching there next year, <laughs> I don't know. How, how do you recruit yeah. at that point? Uh, so I, I, I forget about recruiting, win football games. That'll, recruiting will take care of itself. Uh, when you look at, you know, they didn't get the numbers this year, but when you look at some of the players they got to come in, you know, there really is something about USC that carries through over the years more than just how the team is doing. But I think, you know, that's one year. You go more than one year, uh, and you go more than a situation where what's the staff going to look like? Who's going to be coaching there? Do I commit? What if, you know, you, you can't allow people to be able to put that in the kids' minds where they say, well, this school, they got a new coach, and he's going to be around for a good while, and this guy, no, 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 and this guy, and this guy. But USC, that's a problem. Uh, they can't let that happen. So win football games, they'll, they'll have enough recruits next year. But I think somewhere between now and next year, USC really should be sitting down with the NCAA in ways in which uh, – they're they're demanding uh, redress from from what the NCAA did to them, and whether that'll happen or not, it's hard to say. That hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I mean, maybe they'll force. The thing is, I don't know why they're being so uh, laid back on this because when the Todd McNair emails come out, and there's not anybody that doesn't think they're not coming out. At least the ones that have already been introduced into his case, they're already in evidence. Uh, if those come out, there may be no USC may have no choice but to you know act. It, it, you know there may be no way you could avoid acting when those emails come out. So it, it, it surprises me that USC hasn't tried to get out ahead of that and offer the NCA a way out that you know ends the whole USC. I mean, if I'm the NCA, I never want to talk about this USC case again. It's got to be. Horrific embarrassment. I mean, USC could have kept this on the front burner in a way that when these other cases come, came up, uh, the NCA would have you know, pretty much been sunk. But USC has done so many favors to the NCA at this point. Um, one would think, you know, if for no other reason, the NCA would say, you know, people around the NCA would say, nobody's been, you know, better to us than you guys. We owe you. I mean, that would that'd be my take. I'd be making a lot of phone calls to Indianapolis. Uh, and then one last one, Dan, before we let you go. David says, can you or Dan explain why Malcolm Jones can return to UCLA as a walk-on? I thought you guys said once that someone is a recruited athlete and receives a scholarship. He cannot later become a walk-on. If Jones can do it, it seems like a big loophole in the scholarship limits. That's from David. Well, it is a loophole. It's, it's sort of, you know, you would call it a risk kids loophole. Because the NCAA says that if you can document that you can totally pay your tuition 
and everything, uh, you know, all educational expenses. You can prove it, and it's all coming from your family resources, not anything coming from anywhere else. Um, then uh, you can do it. Louisville did it in basketball, I guess, two years ago. They wanted to recruit a full class, and they, I think they were like two scholarships short. Uh, it would have taken them from 13 to 15. And so what they did, they had one kid I know was his dad was a neurosurgeon, and one other kid, and they, they both agreed that it will be better for the team. Obviously, it paid off, uh, but they both agreed to pay their way completely, and that's legal. You have to have the resource. So it's kind of a bad deal. If you're not a kid with resources, um, you can't take advantage of it. If you're a kid with resources, uh, you can. Or if you're at a school where that doesn't cost as much, to pay for the full tuition again that's a it kind of you know a school like usc gets screwed you know it would be a lot more difficult for a kid to pay his way uh every every single dollar at usc than you ucla for example but uh there is a loophole it's there and they're allowed to do it and supposedly the nca checks to make sure that it's on the up and up and that you have to show you know, to show them the bank records, all kinds of stuff to prove that, that you have the money uh, and you're not being, you know, it's not being advanced to you by a booster or the school or whatever, uh, but you're actually allowed to do that. Yep. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again for coming on the show. We'll uh, continue talking about USC football. We appreciate all the questions throughout this offseason. There'll be plenty more to get to before we uh, start fall camp in a few months, but thanks again. It was a lot of fun. Yep, I enjoyed it. Uh, this is this is the time for questions. As <laughs> answers are coming, we hope. Uh, uh, but um, but this is fun to you know questions. Uh, keep them coming. Uh, you guys have a lot of great questions, and uh, uh, if we could ever you know come up with some good answers, we we will try. <laughs> we but, do our best. <laughs> and if we don't, if we don't have good answers, we'll just make them up and <laughs> see if he catches. <laughs> thanks again, Dad, and thanks everyone else for tuning okay. in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.